Hello all, and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is titled, Solving Two Mysteries by Finding One MIA. <laughs> Personally, I wanted to name today's episode, Never Say Never, but our producer thought it was, you know, not descriptive enough. Guess that's my job to describe today's amazing tale to you. I'm your host, Rick Stone, and No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. If you're hearing this preview of No Home for Heroes on YouTube or Audio Burst, we invite you to listen to the complete podcast on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast or streaming platform you prefer. You hear that squeaking in the background? It's our new puppy named Ruby who wants to help out in today's podcast. Stay tuned while we tell you about a missing Marine whose case was solved using the tiniest of clues grudgingly obtained from the government by use of a federal lawsuit, and one where the solution proved to unravel not just one, but two of history's military mysteries. We want to dedicate today's episode to our loyal listeners in the United States Attorney's Office in Waco, Texas, and Washington, D.C., who actually helped us enforce the Freedom of Information Act and compel the production of documents necessary to bring today's MIA home to his family. Thanks guys for doing the right thing. And now, on with our show. We need to let you know right up front that today's episode is perhaps the strangest and the most stunningly incredible validation of our work here at the Foundation of any MIA case we have ever had. And, unlike some other history's military mysteries, Today's episode on No Home for Heroes will conclude with a happy ending. Our story will conclude with a long-lost Marine coming home. And he comes home bearing the answer to who was buried in not just one, but two different graves containing unknowns at the Punchbowl Cemetery in Honolulu, Hawaii. It could be the only twofer in the history of MIA search activities. Private First Class Alfred Edwards has been an active case investigation for us since 2012. But like many other cases, the clues pointed to a dozen different directions, and nothing just seemed to add up. Alfred Edwards was 66 inches tall. That's uh, not very tall. 5 foot 6 inches. He was 33 years of age, medium brown hair, and he weighed somewhere between 137 and 145 pounds. He had type O blood type, and he was a member of E Company, Easy Company, 2nd Battalion, 2nd Marines. His assignment, the Battle of Tarawa, was to land on Red Beach 2. PFC Edwards listed his religious preference as Protestant, and the letter P was imprinted on his USMC identification desk for his dog tag. PFC Edwards was unmarried. He had blue eyes. He had 20-20 vision and his capsize was unknown. At 33 years of age, he's probably the oldest man in his company, which means the other Marines called him Grandpa or Pops. 
PFC Edwards' last recorded dental examination was on 11 January 1942, shortly after his enlistment. And it recorded only two cavities, no fillings, no extractions, and three wisdom teeth present. For the time period in the rural background of PFC Edwards, his very minimal dental treatment provided, well, kind of a remarkable, almost to the point of unbelievable profile. This unlikely dental profile would play a role in his lack of identification for almost 76 years. His medical records indicated that he had no tattoos, birthmarks, previous bone fractures, or breaks. He did have a one-inch scar on his left knee, and it was about a quarter to a half inch wide. The location above and below the patella may indicate that he had a previous knee injury and had had surgery on that knee. PFC Edwards had a one-inch scar on his left wrist and a one-inch scar below his right buttock. He also had a three-inch scar on his upper left forearm. Alfred Edwards stated he was born in Harrison, Arkansas. He completed eight years of elementary education before quitting school and working full-time on his family farm. On 23 October 1931, Alfred joined the United States Army and he was assigned to Battery E, 1st Field Artillery. He rose to the rank of Private First Class. On 5 December 1933, after being a member of the Army for about two years, Private First Class Edwards was honorably discharged by purchase. And that's a phrase used in those early days when a person could actually buy their way out of military service. At the time of the 1940 census, Alfred was living with his parents, John W. and May Edwards, and two younger brothers on their farm in Adair County, Oklahoma. Both Alfred and his father listed their occupations as farmers. Alfred was accepted into the United States Marine Corps Reserves in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he was formally enlisted in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, on 9 January 1942, where he was again assigned the rank of private. He listed his residence as Stillwell, Oklahoma, and he listed his mother as his next of kin. The term of his enlistment was for four years. Private Edwards completed his Marine Corps basic training with the Knight. 9th Recruit Battalion at San Diego, California, during which he received a Qualified Swimmer Certification. Upon graduation from basic training on 8 March 1942, Private Edwards was assigned to Easy Company, 2nd Battalion, 2nd Marines. They were then stationed at Camp Elliott, San Diego, California. Only a few months later, no doubt due to his prior service in the Army, Private Edwards was promoted to Private First Class. Private Edwards and his unit embarked aboard a transport ship in San Diego Harbor on 8 August 1942 for shipment to the South Pacific where they later participated in the Guadalcanal campaign on Tulagi Island and Guadalcanal beginning 1 October 1942. PFC Edwards boarded the transport ship USS President Hayes at Guadalcanal on 31 January 1943 and he and his company were shipped to Wellington, New Zealand. In New Zealand, PFC Edwards and his company were stationed at Camp McKay's Crossing for a period of rest, refit, and training in preparation for the invasion of Tarawa. On 30 June 1943, Private First Class Edwards received his semi-annual professional and conduct record, which is kind of like a fitness report. He was scored on a scale of 0 to 5 for 5 traits, 
and received a 4.2 for military efficiency, a 4.2 for neatness and military bearing, a 4.2 in intelligence, and perfect 5.0s in the categories of obedience and sobriety. PFC Edwards and his company embarked aboard the transport ship USS Zeeland in Wellington Harbor on 16 October 1943 for a week of amphibious landing training in the Hawke's Bay area of New Zealand. The Zeeland briefly returned to Wellington Harbor before sailing again on 1 November 1943 with PFC Edwards and his company aboard. On 7 November 1943, the USS Zeeland stopped at Amphady, New Hebrides Islands, for an additional six days of amphibious landing training before setting sail for Tarawa. Private First Class Edwards was loaded into a Higgins boat landing craft from the USS Zeeland at about 0430 hours on the morning of the first day of the battle, 20 November 1943. Marines aboard these landing craft were transferred over to LVT, that's Landing Vehicle Tract, or Amphibious Tractors, for the actual assault onto the Tarawa beaches. Private First Class Edwards was assigned to boat number 27, but we don't know exactly which LVT number PFC Edwards later crossed over to for the actual landing. Private First Class Edwards Company was designated to land on the extreme right or western edge of Red Beach 2 at about 0905 hours on the first day of the invasion. His unit was delivered to the shore simultaneously in three landing vehicle track amphibious tractors. Due to the topography of the island at their designated landing point, PFC Edwards Company received extremely heavy fire from Japanese defenders on both Red Beach 1 and Red Beach 2. Upon landing, the fire increased even more, and many Marines were killed as soon as they attempted to disembark over the sides of the amphibious tractors. Their object at that time, very, very limited, was to make their way to a small coconut log seawall. Many Marines in PFC Edwards Company and five of their six officers were killed in a fierce battle with the Japanese defenders occupying a large bomb crater near the water's edge. Per Arthur, author Eric Hamill, quote, The E Company platoon on the battalion's extreme right took a fantastic amount of fire from Japanese strong point at the boundary of Red 1 and Red 2. The platoon's three Amtrak drivers were able to land quite close to the assigned sector within seconds of one another. As they did, the fire suddenly intensified and many Marines were immediately killed as they disembarked. The platoon leader ordered his men to the seawall, and he was gunned down as he led the way. End quote. The Marine survivors of this brief engagement attempted to attack inland, but were repulsed by heavy fire and were forced to retreat to the bomb crater and dig in while they awaited reinforcements. At this point, PFC Edwards' company was reduced to only about 15 or 20 Marines who had not been wounded or killed. These men from E Company, in charge of a sergeant who did not know where his own officers were located, reported to Captain Morris from F Company. Somewhere in all of that melee, we lost. Private First Class Alfred Edwards. He was listed on his United States Marine Corps casualty card as killed in action on 20 November 1943. This document actually lists his cause of death as gunshot wound, chest, 
and it gave a burial location of number 17, Grave C, in the East Division Cemetery. Private First Class Edwards' certificate of death and other documents in his official military personnel file cite the very same burial location as was on his casualty card. Number 17, Grave C, East Division Cemetery. Well, the East Division Cemetery was later redesignated as Cemetery 33, and it was completely exhumed by the American Graves Registration Service personnel in 1946. Any set of remains recovered from Cemetery 33 that could not be identified was ultimately interred at the Punchbowl Cemetery as an unknown. Well, this sounds like a simple case, right? PFC Edwards must be buried and was buried in Cemetery 33. He was not identified in 1946. Therefore, he must be in the Punchbowl as an unknown, right? Well, the problem was PFC Alfred Edwards was not a biometric match to any single unknown buried in the Punchbowl. How could this be? Well, Frankly, we scratched our heads, and frankly, the case of P.F.C. Edwards went cold. When his family asked us to take a look at his case in October 2018, we told the family the truth. He was not then a most likely match to any single unknown buried in the punch bowl. But, <laughs> and there's always a but in history's military mysteries, there were some intriguing clues indicating a possible match to several unknowns who all had discrepancies in their cases in the match and analysis for PFC Edwards, which we could not explain. And then the single clue to solving PFC Edwards' case came from a most unlikely source. On 28 November 2018, the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation received a laboratory identification report from the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency. This lab ID report was for Private First Class Joe Lukey, who had not been in PFC Edwards' company. And the laboratory ID packet was obtained in response to a federal lawsuit filed by the Foundation under the Freedom of Information Act, sometimes known as FOIA. Per Private First Class Lukey's identification packet, the joint POW-MIA Accounting Command found Sergeant V.H. Wehart's dog tag in Cemetery 33 in 2013, and Sergeant Wehart's dog tag was very near the dog tag of, you guessed it, Private First Class Alfred Edwards. It was also near the remains that were ultimately identified as Private First Class Lukey. These remains were added to the skeleton that was labeled Unknown X-201 and buried in the punch bowl. Sergeant Wehart was listed as buried in grave number 8, Row C, Cemetery 33. The recovery of his dog tags indicated that PFC Edwards should have been an unknown originally recovered from Cemetery 33 on the same date as Private First Class Lukey and the same date as Sergeant Wehart. Per the Foundation's own analysis entitled the Lone Palm Sequential Burial Analysis Report, there were only three unknowns who were recovered on that date. 
unknown X198, unknown X203, and unknown X209. Our foundation quickly eliminated unknown X198 by a failure to match it through the random instant statistical correlation system as a match to PFC Edwards, leaving, well, you guessed it again, unknowns X203 and unknown X209 as matches to private first class Alfred Edwards. In February 2019, the Foundation received a second request for an updated investigation into private First Class Edwards' case from another branch of his family. With the newly acquired documentation from our FOIA lawsuit, we informed the family that Private First Class Edwards was a most likely match to only two unknowns, unknown X203 and unknown X209. And then, in August 2019, the Department of Defense announced that Private First Class Alfred Edwards had been identified as a punch bowl unknown utilizing DNA analyzed by the Armed Forces DNA Identification Laboratory. But the Department of Defense didn't say which unknown had been identified as Private First Class Edwards. Hey, you know what? No matter. The bottom line was, yay! Pop the confetti! Pound the yellow ribbons in Oklahoma and bring Al home. But if you think today's story ends here, you're wrong. Yesterday, November 15, 2019, five days shy of the 76th anniversary of PFC Edwards' death in the bloody Battle of Tarawa, we were informed that Private First Class Alfred Edwards was identified as both unknown X203 and unknown X209. This was simply incredible. It's unbelievable, but it's true. In a stunning validation of our foundation's random instant statistical correlation system, our biometric program had predicted that Private First Class Edwards was a match to only two unknowns, and it was determined that he was actually a match to both of the unknowns that we had predicted. It took modern DNA analysis that the now defunct JPAC laboratory once called, quote, voodoo science, end quote, to make the identification. Only by laying the charts of the recovered skeletal remains for each of these two unknowns side by side was it clear how the individual bones from two different unknowns buried in two different grave sites in the punch bowl fit together to be Private First Class Al Edwards. This kind of twofer identification has never happened before. And it will probably never happen again. But in the world of history's military mysteries, we have learned to never say never. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. Today's episode was from case number 0394 of the investigative files of the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. Our foundation is dedicated to providing information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American servicewomen. We hope you've enjoyed today's production, and we invite you to check out our other episodes on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts. We have now posted over 40 
different original episodes of History's Military Mysteries Missing in Action for you to access and enjoy. As always, we greatly appreciate your comments and a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We have only a few more episodes of No Home for Heroes planned for 2019 before taking a hiatus and embarking on a different adventure. So don't miss our next exciting true story about one of our missing American heroes. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas, I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes. But shameful is the nation that, having heroes, forgets them. <laughs>